You're listening to the Odyssey out loud. I'm Anna Katerina. Episode 6 Arrival in Pylos. The sun rose, leaving the gorgeous surface of the sea for a sky full of bronze to give light to the immortals and mortal men in their grain-giving fields. They came to Pylos, the well-built citadel of Neleus. On the shore of the sea, some men were making sacrifices, all black bulls for the dark-haired earthshaker. There were nine companies, five hundred men sat in each, and before each company there were nine bulls. As they tasted the sweetbreads and burned the thigh bones for the gods, Telemachus' crew drew straight in, furled the well-balanced ship's sail and stored it, then dropped anchor and disembarked. Athena led the way, then Telemachus jumped down from the ship. The goddess, bright-eyed Athena, spoke first, looking and sounding just like Mentor. Telemachus, you don't need to be shy. Not in the least. This is why you sailed on the sea, to learn about your father, where the earth covers him and what fate befell him. But come on now, go straight to the house of Nestor, tamer of horses. Let's see what counsel he's got hidden in his chest. Appeal to him yourself, so he'll be direct. He's very sensible, he won't tell a lie. Spirited Telemachus said back to Athena, Mentor, how should I go to him? How should I greet him? I don't have any practice with polished words, and it would be shameful for a young man to question an elder. When I say polished, I mean pikinoisin. Words like a good brick wall, solid, or bird's feathers, everyone in its place, the kind of language you have to learn to construct and test and try again. Language that's watertight, like a leather bag made with good thick hide. Telemachus hasn't been under this kind of pressure before. He isn't sure his vocab will hold up. But, the goddess bright-eyed Athena said back to him, Telemachus, some of this you'll figure out for yourself, and the rest a daimon will put in your mind, for I don't think you were born and raised against the will of the gods. So saying, Pallas Athena led the way quickly, and he walked in the footprints of the god. They reached the gathering, and the companies of men from Pylos. Nestor sat there with his sons, and around them their companions prepared a feast, roasting some of the meat and spitting more. When they saw the strangers, they came and all crowded around. They beckoned them forward and urged them to sit. Pesistratos Nestorides came near first. He took their hands and seated them at the feast on soft fleeces on the sand, next to his brother, Thrasymedes, and his father. He gave them parts of the sweetbreads, and poured wine into golden cups. Then, drinking to her health, he addressed Pallas Athena, the daughter of Zeus, the Aegis-bearer. Now, my guest, pray to Lord Poseidon, for this is his feast you've encountered coming here. And then, once you've poured a libation and prayed, as is customary, then give that one the cup of honey-sweet wine to make an offering, since I think that that one also prays to the immortals. All men have need of the gods. Since he's young, like I am, I'll give you the golden cup first. So saying, he placed the cup of sweet wine in her hand, and Athena rejoiced at the spirited, courteous man because he gave her the golden cup first. 
At once she prayed a great deal to Lord Poseidon. Listen, earth-holding Poseidon, and don't begrudge us praying for these things to happen. First of all, give glory to Nestor and his sons, and then to the others, all the other Pylians, a favorable compensation for their splendid hecatombs. Moreover, grant that Telemachus and I return, having accomplished what we came here in a swift black ship to do. That's how she prayed. But she made it all happen herself. She gave the fine double-handled cup to Telemachus so the dear son of Odysseus could pray in the same way. Then, after they'd roasted the outer part of the meat, they carved it up, and handing out portions, they dined at a magnificent feast. Once they'd finished with their food and drink, then Nestor, the Gerenian horseman, was the first of them to speak. Now it is more appropriate to inquire and ask our guests who they are, since they've been satisfied with food. Strangers, who are you? Where do you sail from on the watery ways, on some business or roaming aimlessly, like pirates who rove over the sea and gamble their souls, bringing bad things to foreign folk? Spirited Telemachus said back to him, confidently, because Athena herself put courage in his heart so that he would ask about his absent father as well as gain a good reputation among men. Onestor Neleiades, great glory of the Achaeans. You ask where we're from, and I'll tell you. We've come from Ithaca, beneath Mount Naon. The business I have to speak of is mine, not the kingdom's. I'm in pursuit of the far-flung rumor of my father, in the hope that I might hear somewhere about divine, steadfast Odysseus. They say you fought beside him, once upon a time, and sacked the city of Troy. We've heard about all the others who fought the Trojans, where each was destroyed with dismal ruin, but for that one? Cronion has covered up even his destruction. No one can clearly tell us when he was destroyed, whether he was overpowered by hostile men on land or in the sea, among the waves of Amphitrite. That's why I come to your knees now, to see if you're willing to tell me about that one's dismal destruction. Maybe you saw it with your own eyes, or heard the story from someone else as they wandered. His mother bore him to be exceptionally miserable. So don't, out of respect for me, try to soften the news in any way. Don't take pity on me. Tell me the full story of how you caught sight of him. Please, if in the land of the Trojans, where the Achaeans suffered misery, my father, noble Odysseus, ever promised you anything and made it happen, either word or deed, remember these things for me now. And tell them exactly. Then Nestor, the Gerenian horseman, answered him. Dear friend, since you remind me of the misery we sons of the Achaeans with boundless will withstood in that kingdom, all the things which happened when we wandered with our ships on the misty sea for spoil wherever Achilleus led, and all the things which happened when we fought around the great city of Lord Priam, where so many of our best men were killed. There warlike Ajax lies. There Achilleus. There Patroclus, an adviser equal to the gods. There my dear son, irreproachable and strong, Antilochus, a warrior who could outpace others. 
Besides these, we suffered many other bad things. Could any mortal man tell them all? Not even if you stayed here for five years, or six, and inquired into all the bad things which the divine Achaeans suffered there until, exhausted, you returned to your fatherland. For nine years we stitched together trouble for them, employing ourselves with all kinds of schemes which Cronian barely made happen. There no one wanted to go up against him, man to man, in council, since divine Odysseus was exceptionally successful at all kinds of schemes. Odysseus, your father, if it's true that you're his son, I'm amazed. Looking at you, your words are similar, and you wouldn't expect a young man to speak so like him. So long as divine Odysseus and I were there, we never differed in assembly or in council, but were of one disposition, in our minds and in thoughtful advice. We considered how things might be brought about to the Argive's greatest advantage. Then, after we'd sacked the high city of Priam, we went in our ships, and a god scattered the Achaeans, and then Zeus thought up a dismal homecoming for the Argives, since not everyone was at all law-abiding or thought things through. So, many of them met with a bad fate from the deadly wrath of that bright-eyed daughter of a mighty father who put discord between the Atreidae. The two of them summoned all the Achaeans to an assembly, willfully, and not in the way things are done, at sunset. And the sons of the Achaeans came, weighed down with wine. The two had their say, which is why they'd gathered the men, and there Menelaus ordered all the Achaeans to think of their return on the wide back of the sea. But this didn't please Agamemnon at all. He wanted to hold the men back and perform sacred hecatombs to cure the dread wrath of Athena. Idiot. He didn't know he wasn't going to persuade her. For the minds of the gods, which are forever, do not turn suddenly. So, trading hard words, the two stood, and the well-armed Achaeans leapt up with an inhuman din, and the council divided them in two. That night we slept, our thoughts hardened against each other, for Zeus planned a calamity of evil. At dawn, some of us drew our ships down to the Divine Sea and put our possessions and the women in their tightly belted dresses on board. And then half the men kept back. Remaining there with Atreides Agamemnon, shepherd of men, and half of us embarking rowed our ships, which sailed very quickly and a god smoothed the Great Maud Sea. Great Maud is the closest I can get to Megaketea, a word with all the weight of that hollow, gaping feeling under your feet far out at sea. Aketos is a sea monster, something with great jaws that can swallow you up. And the sea is Megaketea, yawning wide, full of life and itself a living thing, itself a little monstrous in the broad, deep space between the horizons. You never know if it's about to bite down. 
Of course, you might like a little divine assistance. Of course, Nestor will tell Telemachus that... Coming to Tenedos, we offered sacrifices to the gods, eager to reach home, but Zeus didn't plan for us to return yet. Merciless god, he stirred up discord among us for a second time. Some, following, calculating, warlike wise, Lord Odysseus took their men, pulled their smooth-turning ships around, and departed, heading back to Atreides Agamemnon to ally themselves with him. Then I fled, with all the ships which followed me gathered together, since I knew a daemon intended bad things, and the warlike son of Tydeus urged his companions on and fled as well. Later, bright-haired Menelaus came in pursuit of us, and he caught up in Lesbos, where we were discussing the long voyage, whether we should sail from above, down past rugged Chios by the island of Syria, keeping it on our left, or sail down beneath Chios, by way of windy Mimas. We asked a god to send us a sign, and a god sent one to us, and told us to cut across the middle of the sea to Euboea, to make the fastest escape from trouble. The god stirred up a fair whistling wind to blow, and the ships very quickly ran across the fish-filled paths and brought us to Geraistus by night. We offered the thigh-bones of many bulls to Poseidon for having crossed the great sea. It was on the fourth day that the comrades of Tydides Diomedes, the tamer of horses, moored their balanced ships in Argos. Then I held out for Pylos. And the fair wind never faltered after the god first sent it to blow. So I came, dear child, ignorant. I didn't know a thing of the others, which of the Achaeans were saved, which destroyed. As much as I've heard, sitting in our great hall, you'll hear it. That's fair, and I won't keep it from you. It is said that the Myrmidons, those devoted spearmen, made it safe, led by the brilliant son of great-hearted Achilleus. Philoctetes, the splendid son of Poius, made it safe, and Idomeneus led all his companions to Crete, those who'd escaped from war, and the sea didn't take anyone from him. Even you yourselves, far away, heard about Atreides. How he came, how Aegisthus planned a dismal destruction. But indeed, that one paid severely. It is fortunate for a dead man to have a child left behind, since that one avenged himself on that patricide cunning Aegisthus who'd killed his famous father. And you, my dear, since it's very clear to me that you're big and handsome, be brave, so that those born after you will speak well of you. Spirited Telemachus said back to him, O Nestor Neleiades, great glory of the Achaeans, that one certainly took revenge. And the Achaeans carry his fame far and wide. It'll be heard by men who have yet to be. If only the gods would give me so much strength to take vengeance on the suitors for their painful trespass. They're insolent, they've got plans for me, and they don't care about the consequences. But the gods haven't spun that kind of happiness for me. 
for me or my father. Now I'll just have to deal with it. Then Nestor, the Grenian horseman, answered him. Dear boy, since you mention it, they say that because of your mother there are many suitors in your hall against your will planning bad things. Tell me, are you overcome by your own volition, or have the people throughout the country turned against you, directed by the voice of a god? Who knows if Odysseus will someday show up and repay their violence, either alone or with all the Achaeans together. If only bright-eyed Athena wanted to care about you like she did when she looked out for glorious Odysseus in the land of the Trojans where we Achaeans suffered pain. I've never seen the gods love so openly as Pallas Athena standing by his side in full view. If she wanted to trouble her heart to care about you in this way, then some of those suitors would forget about marriage. Spirited Telemachus said back to him, I don't think that story will ever come true. You said something much too big. I'm in awe. What I'm hoping for won't ever happen for me. Not even if the gods wanted it. Then the goddess, bright-eyed Athena, said back to him, Telemachus, what just came out of your mouth? It's easy for a god, if they want, to save a man, even from far away. For me, I'd prefer suffering a lot of pain to get home and see my homecoming day rather than to reach my hearth and be destroyed, like Agamemnon was killed by the cunning of Aegisthus and his own wife. But it's true that not even the gods can ward off death. It's common to everyone. They can't even protect someone dear to them when the wicked fate of death which lays men out brings him down. Then spirited Telemachus said back to her, Mentor, I know we're upset, but let's stop talking about this. It's a fantasy that that man should ever return. The immortals have already planned his death and a dark end for him. That's what Telemachus said. And that is where we'll leave them for now. On the shore of the sea in Pylos, at the feast of the Earthshaker Poseidon. You've been listening to The Odyssey Out Loud. I'm Anna Katerina. You can learn more and listen to new episodes at theodysseyoutloud.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash odysseyoutloud. Thank you for listening. <laughs>